to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of John, chapter 7, verse 41, as we follow along with today's lesson. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, Shall the Messiah come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that the Messiah will come from the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now, notice those who took the anti-side. Those who said he deceives the people were basing their statement upon incomplete and false information. Jesus was of the seed of David. Both Mary and Joseph were descendants of David. He was of the seed of David, and he was born in Bethlehem. They didn't know that. They didn't have full information, and they were making judgment upon incomplete information, which is a mistake that a lot of people make. There are a lot of people today who are making judgments concerning Jesus Christ on false information or incomplete information. Isn't it tragic that a person is making a judgment concerning Jesus Christ that is going to determine that person's eternal welfare, and yet They don't have enough sense to study the thing out and to see if these things be so. Jesus said, you do search the scriptures because in them you think you have life, but they are they which testify of me and you won't come to me that you might have life. But there are people today that aren't even searching the scriptures to see if these things be so. When Paul went to Berea and preached the gospel to them, They were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they went and they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. And they found out it was. Certainly it is not wise to make a judgment until you have all of the facts available to you. And yet so many people are guilty, as were these people, thinking they knew the facts. We know this man from whence he is. They don't know him. We know him from whence. No, you don't know him. You think you know, because you saw him growing up in Nazareth. You assume he was born in Nazareth. You assume that he's from maybe the tribe of Naphtali or Manasseh or or one of those in the northern area. But no, he is of the tribe of Judah. He is a descendant of David, and he was born in Bethlehem. And so division among the people because of him. And that's always true. 
Jesus said, don't think that I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. I'm going to divide families. There will be a mother divided against her daughter and a son against the father because the the division comes in believing or not believing in Jesus. And oftentimes it brings division within families. And of course, he's talking to the Jews and And when a Jewish person would accept Jesus, it would bring a great division within the family to the extent that oftentimes the family would completely ostracize that member of the family who would acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. They would even hold funeral services and consider them as dead and have nothing to do with them. There was a division There's always a division. And tonight there's a division. There are those of you that believe that he was a deceiver. And those of us who believe that he was more than a good man. He was the son of God who was sent by God to save us from our sins. And we believe on him. And we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we enjoy this blessed overflowing life that comes from him and believing in him. Some of them would have arrested him, but no man laid hands on him. Then the officers to the chief priest and the Pharisees, then came the officers to the chief, that is the officers that were sent out to arrest Jesus. They came back empty-handed. And they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? Why did you arrest him? And the officers answered, Never a man spake like this man. They were entranced with the words of Jesus. He speaks not as the scribes and the Pharisees. He speaks with authority. Never has a man spoken like this man. Then answered the Pharisees, and they said, Are you also deceived? You see, they were saying he deceives the people. Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? Oh, yes. Yes, some of them have. We are told that many of the the rulers and the priests believed on him, but they did it secretly because uh, they didn't want to lose their position in the council. And one of them who was sitting there had come to Jesus by night And said to him, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God because no man can do the things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus taught him the way to be born again by believing in Jesus. Nicodemus. And so they said, have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who do not know the law are cursed looking down upon the people from a religious throne. This is what Jesus came to abolish. The establishment of spiritual hierarchy. Jesus came to open the door for every one of us to be able to come to God directly. He is the mediator. He is the go-between. He alone is the go-between between between you and God. No one else. 
No man can come to the Father but by him. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I can't go on your behalf. You have just as much right as access to the Father as I do. I go to him through Jesus Christ. You must come to him through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we both have equal access unto the Father. These religious people looked down. There is a religious snobbery here. And they say to concerning those that aren't a part of their little elite group that they were cursed. They don't know the law. Nicodemus said unto them, the one that came to Jesus by night, who was one of the religious leaders, does our law judge any man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? I mean, he's he's bringing up a point of law here. They were guilty of violating the law. You could not judge a man until he had first had his say. They had made judgments of him. They had not given him an opportunity to answer their issues or their questions. And thus Nicodemus is bringing up a point of order, point of law. Does our law judge a man before it hears him or knows what he is doing? And they answered and said to him, Are you also of Galilee? It was a very cutting kind of a thing. Search and look, for out of Galilee arises no prophet. That's not correct either. But uh, that was their statement. And so every man went to his own house. The meeting broke up, divided. Let's turn now in our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 8, as we continue our journey through the Bible. John, chapter 8. The seventh chapter ended at the end of the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, that great day of the feast. And as the chapter ends, it ends with these words, and every man went unto his own house. The feast is over. The day is over. Every man went to his own house. But in chapter 8, it said, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Every man went to his own house. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. It sort of goes back to the words of Jesus where he said, the birds of the air have their nests, the foxes have their holes, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. They went to their houses. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. No doubt to spend the night there on the Mount of Olives in an area, a garden area that he was used to going to with his disciples, a place where they usually spent the night. And uh, we find that six months later, he will again be going to that area in the Mount of Olives where uh, he will finally be arrested and Judas will betray him. Judas knew the place that Jesus was uh, accustomed to going there on the Mount of Olives. So it sort of 
you know, a poignant kind of a, every man went to his own house and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again to the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and he taught them. Now, yesterday, the last day of the feast, we find Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now he is sitting down and teaching. He is assuming now the position of a rabbi. And as we have shared with you, in that time and culture, the teachers sat and the pupils stood. And so when Jesus is sitting, he is uh, now in the uh, position of the rabbi, the teacher. He is sitting to teach the people. When a person is heralding a truth, they would stand to herald the truth. And so when Jesus was proclaiming the way of salvation, when he was proclaiming the gospel, a herald of the gospel, Jesus stood and he cried, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now he's going to teach and thus he sits there in the temple and the people have gathered to listen to him. And as he is teaching the people, suddenly there is a commotion as the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Early in the morning, he's teaching. The scribes and Pharisees have caught a woman in the very act of adultery. Probably had spent the night with a man. And now they come dragging her to Jesus. She is probably defiant rebellious, screaming, quite a commotion. They set her in the midst and they said, we caught this woman, very active adultery. Moses' law said we are to stone her. What do you say? But John is careful to point out they're trying to catch Jesus. You see, they knew that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And they're trying to put him at conflict with the Mosaic law because they understood that the law came from God through Moses. And as John said in the first chapter, the law came by Moses and grace and truth by Jesus Christ. And so they're trying to put him at odds with the Mosaic law. Not only that, the Roman law. The Romans had taken from the Jews the power of capital punishment. And only Rome could give the death sentence to a person. If Jesus now advocates stoning her, then they will go to the Roman authorities and uh, 
put Jesus as a rebel to the Roman authority. So they feel that they have him pretty well trapped in this situation. He can't say, well, you know, be gracious and merciful. Because then they'd say he is at odds with Mosaic law. And he can't say stoner because then he would be at odds with the Roman law. So Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And some of the old manuscripts read as though he heard them not. Just sort of ignored them. Just started writing on the ground. So they persisted. They they weren't going to let him get off the hook. And so they continued asking him. And so he lifted up himself and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Uh, That without sin is, is sort of who has never sinned. Among you, let him cast the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, this word to write in Greek is graphene, and this is the word katagraphene. Uh, the word kata is down or to cast down. So it has given rise to the theory that what he is writing is incriminations against them. He is recording perhaps there in the dirt their sins. He had just said, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And then as he began to catagraphine, to write down, to make note of, to make a record of, From the oldest to the youngest, they began to excuse themselves and leave. Probably as he was writing, first of all, their name and then starting to list some of the things that they had been doing lately, they remembered other obligations that they had and they left. (laughs) One by one. Until they were all gone. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. You see, it was probably related to their sins. They, they, they were convicted by their own conscience. They went out one by one, beginning at the eldest and even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, Where are your accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? I imagine there was a bit of humor in that. What happened to them? Doesn't anybody condemn you? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I. Go thy way, sin no more. There was only one person in that whole crowd who was qualified to cast a stone and he refused to do it. There was only one who was sinless among them 
This goes back to the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in the third chapter of John's gospel, where Jesus said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already seeing he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Light came into the world. But men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil and they would not come to the light knowing that the light would expose them. So here were men who came to the light and they were exposed. They left. Only the woman was left. I believe that there was a total change in her attitude. I believe that she came in screaming Screaming, scratching, kicking. But as the accusers began to leave, she was moved by Jesus. And when he said, where are your accusers? Doesn't anyone condemn you? She said, no man, Lord. I I think that there was that total change of her attitude. The, The rebellion was gone. The Anger was gone. The flash in the eye was gone. And I think there were tears in her eyes as she looked at the man of compassion full of grace and truth. And to hear his words, neither do I condemn thee. Jesus said that he didn't come to condemn but to save. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Here is one that he was going to die for. Here is one that he came to save. And thus, this beautiful picture. Now, there are some who say that this does not belong in the Bible. There are a couple of older texts, mainly the Codex Sinaiticus, in which this particular account is absent. And thus, Westcott and Hort, who compiled a Greek New Testament from which translations are made, decided to leave it out of the text at this point. Now, they did put it in at the end of the Gospel of John as sort of an appendage. And some of the modern translations sort of put it in brackets and an explanation of the fact that in some of the older manuscripts it doesn't exist. They usually say some of the best manuscripts, but I would challenge that the... uh, Codex Sinaiticus was a good manuscript. I think it's a very poor manuscript. I think that's why it survived. Uh, No one wanted to read it because it was poor. And uh, so uh, the others that were good manuscripts were worn out, and this one remained. Uh, But uh, there is a man who is... (laughs) much more of a scholar than I would ever hope to be, uh, especially in the realm of uh, the original text, uh, Dean Bergen uh, from England, 
who wrote what he called the apostrophe of John, in which he gives very strong, powerful arguments for the inclusion of this in the text where it is in the text and shows that uh, the, the text would be incomplete without it. So um, I personally feel that it is a part, uh, and certainly it is in the majority text, uh, the textus receptus and all, it is there because the majority of the text include this story in place. Now, then said Jesus again unto them, the Pharisees and the scribes who brought the woman, they've, they've left. The people are still there. And Jesus spoke again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus has come to bring light into the world that is dark by the result of sin. Light illuminates. Men will not come to the light because it exposes. This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. And so again, the affirmation, and it's interesting that it is uh, again related to not condemning. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Neither do I condemn thee. I am the light of the world. I didn't come to condemn, but to bring light. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Now, John, in writing his first epistle, said that uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen and heard and have touched and so forth, he came. And John speaks about how that if we walk then in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But he that saith he is in the light and walks in darkness lies and does not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then uh, we have fellowship and the blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing us from all sin. So here Jesus and John is no doubt remembering these words of Jesus when he said, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. So a man and often men say, well, I'm in the light or I'm walking in the light and yet they're living in darkness. Their lives are still fraught with sin, darkness. You say you have fellowship with God, but John said, you lie, you really do not. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. And the Pharisees who were still there from the, not the ones that brought the woman to arrest her, but the Pharisees therefore said unto him, you are bearing record of yourself, your record is not true. Back in the fifth chapter, verse 31, you remember that Jesus said, if, my, if I bear record of myself, my record is not true. Uh, he is saying what they would say if he bore record of himself. And so he said, my father bears record of me, the 
John bore record of me, the works bear record of me, and all. And he told of all of the witnesses that he had who bore record of him. Now he declares, I am the light of the world. And they immediately pounce on that and they said, you're testifying for yourself and thus we reject it. And that's basically what he was saying back in John 5, 31. If I would testify, you would reject it. You'd say, well, you're testifying for yourself. So here Jesus then defends it. He said, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know from whence I came and whether I go. But you cannot tell whence I come or whether I go. I, I know who I am. And I know where I've come from. And I know where I'm going. You don't. You judge after the flesh. I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. So uh, there's another who bears witness with me. Yes, I've borne witness of myself, but there's another who bears witness with me, my Father. And it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. So there is a confirmation to my witness, and that is my Father. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me, he bears witness of me. And then they said unto him, where is your father? Now, this is one of the many questions uh, that we have in this chapter. Uh, where is your father? In other words, all right, you say your father bears witness. Show us. Produce your father. Where is your father? And Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. Where is your father? Produce him. He said, well, you don't know me. If you know me, you know my father. You remember in the 14th chapter of John, which we will be coming to, Philip said, show us the father, and it sufficeth us. This is pretty much what, show us the father. And, and they're saying pretty much, show us the father. And Jesus answered Philip and said, Have I been so long a time with you, Philip? Haven't you seen me? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Here Jesus said, If you've known me, you would know the Father. In other words, there is such an identity, there is such a oneness, that to know the one is to know the other. To see the one is to see the other. And so my father bears witness, but you don't know him. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Now, the treasury was the court of the women. That's where the treasury was. There was the outer court of the Gentiles, then the court of the women, and then from there the court of the men, and then on into the uh, actual place of sacrifice. And a woman was only allowed to pass through the court of the men if she was taking a sacrifice in. But there was the outer court of the women, and this is where the treasury was, and there were 13 large containers uh, for the treasury. 
The first six of them were for designated purposes. The first one is for the half shekel, the temple tax, that every Jew had to pay each year the half shekel temple tax. Uh, But then uh, the uh, next one was to purchase the sacrifices for the women, the turtle doves and so forth that they had to offer for purification. And then the next one was to buy the wood for the fires that were on the altars. And so uh, the upkeep of uh, the, the vessels and so forth. So until there was, uh, I think, about seven of them that had sort of designated, you know, for different. And then the rest were just for anything you have left, you know, drop it in. And so you had to go buy the 13 collection points. And uh, it, uh, that's where Jesus was teaching now. Uh, Porches, large colonnades and porches there where Jesus was teaching. John throws that in. He was saying these things in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. This hour in which he is to be crucified, this hour in which he calls it, he was to be glorified. The hour of his full Dedication and submission to the will of the Father in going to the cross and bearing our sins. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins, for where I go you cannot come. Now, they are confused by this. And the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he said, where I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, you are from beneath, I am from above, you are of this world, I'm not of this world. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Why? Because you don't believe that I am. The only way, the only way we can possibly hope to gain heaven as an eternal dwelling place is to believe in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. Now he's talking about if you'd known me, you would have known my Father. Now I'm going to go away. You're going to seek me. You won't be able to come where I'm going. Heaven will not be open to you. Though you be a practicing Jew, heaven will not be open to you. You have to believe in me to gain entrance into heaven. For if you believe not that I am, you will die in your sins. God has made only one provision for your sins to be forgiven. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ. You cannot atone for your own sins. You cannot do good works and and bring justification. God has only one provision for the forgiveness of your sins, and that's through faith and trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. Very narrow? Yes, it is. 
Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Few there be that find it. Jesus said, if a person tries to come by any other way, and the, the same as a thief and a robber, there's only one way. There's only one door to the sheepfold, Jesus Christ. So the second question, then they said unto him, just who are you? And Jesus said unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak the words of those things which I have heard of him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. He, he uh, is now again laying claim that he is only declaring to them the things of the Father, the things that he heard. Then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. Now, this is a term by which is a reference to the cross. Lifted up on the cross. Uh, again, he'll say, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Signifying, it says, by what manner he would die. I cringe when I hear the chorus no, let's lift him higher, let's lift him higher that all the world may see. I think, oh, yeah. it, it just, I think, oh, no, that's poor theology. Uh, it, it's referring to the cross. And uh, it's uh, being lifted up on the cross. Now, here he's saying, when I'm lifted up, when I am dying on the cross, then you will come to recognize when Jesus was being nailed to the cross, Luke tells us that he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, people gathered to observe the phenomena. Peter stood up and he preached to them. And as he preached to them, he preached to them of Jesus Christ, who was proved to be of God by the signs and the wonders which he did in the midst, whom you, according to the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God with your wicked hands, have crucified and slain, whom God has raised from the dead, and who has ascended into heaven and has given forth this gift of the Holy Spirit, which you now see. The people being convicted said, men and brethren, what shall we do since seeing we have crucified the Lord of glory? Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he acknowledged, for I realize that in ignorance you did it. Now, interesting, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're ignorant of what they're doing. Now these people who were there, crucifying him in ignorance, lifting him up in ignorance, now they are saying, what shall we do? Peter said, I know that you did it ignorantly. But he offered to them the way of salvation because what you did, you did ignorantly. So the prayer of Jesus was really answered on the day of Pentecost. When Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Now, Jesus is saying, when I'm lifted up, you'll understand now these things. When I'm crucified. And then you shall know that I am 
The word he is inserted is just he's using this name of God, I am, the egoimi. And I do nothing of myself, but as the Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. What a statement. I do always those things that please him. Would to God I could make that statement. I do so many things to please myself. Only Jesus could say, I do always those things that please him. As we read in Psalm 40 this morning, when it becomes prophetic concerning Jesus, In verses 7 and 8, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, and then I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Goes right along with, I do always those things that please him. The Father's with me. He hasn't left me alone. And Where was this really fulfilled then? He's talking about being lifted up when I'm lifted up. When Jesus is on the cross, he is there to please the Father. For it hath pleased him to put him to death for our sins. Not what I will, thy will be done. It was submission to the will of the Father. This is my beloved Son, He said, in whom I am well pleased. When did he say that? When Jesus said, it becomes me to fulfill all righteousness, that is to be obedient in all of the issues of righteousness. And the Father acknowledges I'm well pleased. I do always those things that please him. It should be a goal of each of our lives. What would please the Father in this? How can I please the Father? What would please the Father? You know, I think that oftentimes we make a mistake by trying to drive a fine line of definition between right and wrong. And I think that often we are able to justify certain things, like it's not too bad, it's There's nothing really wrong about it. And and we're, we're, we're trying to define right and wrong, and I don't think that that really is the issue. And I don't think that that's the question we should be asking. Is it right or is it wrong? I think the issue is, is it pleasing? Does it please the Lord that I do this? Is he pleased with my actions? And Jesus could say, I do always those things that please the Father. And that should be really our goal and our aim, to please the Father. Because I may be able to prove that it's all right to do it, but it may not be pleasing to the Father that I do it. Does it please him? And as he spake these words, many believed on him. But now he's going to address those that believed upon him because it's it's 
at this point, just a persuasion, but it isn't a commitment. And there are a lot of people who come to sort of a persuasion that, yes, these things are true. Yes, he must be the son of God. And, And they have a mental persuasion, but there's not a commitment. And so Jesus is, is going to really challenge them now. And he's going to really test their belief. And he's going to say things that are going to upset them. Find out just what you do believe. And then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. He's addressing them now. And, and he's going to get into some pretty heavy-duty stuff with them. Then said Jesus to those that, Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. You believe now, but there's more than just believing. You must continue in the word to be a disciple. It's got to be more than just a head trip, more than just... Well, yes, this must be the Son of God. There's, there's got to be that commitment of the heart and the continuing in the word, then a true disciple. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, they answered him, We are Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How sayest you shall be made free? Now, the nation of Israel was in bondage in Egypt. They went into bondage to Babylon. They were in bondage to Syria. And now they are in bondage to Rome. What do they mean? We were never in bondage to any man. Roman soldiers are walking their street. They're paying taxes just resenting it to the Roman government. And yet they say, we were never in bondage to any man. In a sense, this is true. That spirit was never conquered. They were always rebelling against whatever authority was over them, even the authority of God. They were never really in, 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 in real submission to God. And that spirit seemed to be just a part of them. And thus they declared, we were never in bondage to any man. Oh, yeah, they might be ruling over us. They might be walking our streets and we might pay taxes to them. But in our hearts, we're still not in bondage. But Jesus answered, and and of course, they're thinking of it in a physical way. And Jesus is talking to them in spiritual things. And always there is that... um, misunderstanding because Jesus is so often speaking in the spiritual realm and man is thinking in the physical realm. And so Jesus answered them and said, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides ever. You're a, if you commit sin, you are a servant to sin. 
By whatsoever a man is overcome, by the same as he brought into bondage. A servant of sin, whatever it is by which you are overcome, you become a slave to it. And so Jesus is talking about the bondage of sin, the bondage of corruption, as the scriptures call it. And so the servant doesn't abide in the house forever. He can be released at any time. But the son, he abides forever. And if the son, therefore, shall make you free, you will be free indeed. The true freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, who breaks the power that sin had over your life. I love that song. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood, uh, let's see, can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. The power of Jesus, whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. Oh, how we enjoy and love that freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And he said, I know that you're Abraham's seed. They said, we're Abraham's seed. We never, I know you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. So now he's making a distinction, my father and your father. I'm doing the things of my father. You're doing the things of your father. You're trying to kill me. That's the desire of Satan, to destroy the Son of God. And so you're going about to kill me, and thus you're doing the things that you have seen with your father. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. Abraham didn't do this. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, Paul said not all who are of Israel are Israel. Uh, they again are thinking in, in the terms of the physical. I'm a physical descendant of Abraham. My genealogy goes back to Abraham. We have Abraham as our father. And Jesus said, no. Uh, if you were Abraham's children, now Jesus is talking in the spiritual realm, then you'd be doing the works of Abraham. Abraham was the father of a spiritual race of those who believed in the word of God. And so Abraham didn't do what you're doing. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. So uh, Jesus is, is uh, actually here pressing the issue, their father, and they are now cutting, very cutting. We are not born of fornication. Sort of a intimation 
concerning his birth. That secret of Mary was not a secret. When Mary and Joseph were married, the people counted the months. And thus, Jesus was accused of being conceived out of wedlock, which indeed, of course, he was. But uh, they are using it now. We were not born of fornication. It is a very cutting remark. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the Gospel of John in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on Jesus in conflict with the Jews. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order John 7-8 through 8 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. pray that the Lord will be with you, bless and keep you in his love, draw you close to himself. If you are here tonight and you have not received Jesus as your Savior, but you're aware something's missing in your life, you've been trying to fill that void with maybe physical things or emotional experiences and there's still an emptiness, I would highly recommend that As Jesus said, just come to him. For he, he said, who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being, there will flow rivers of living water. You can know what it is to have an overflowing cup. He is either a good man, the son of God, or a deceiver. He can't be both. You are either a believer or a non-believer. You can't be both. But to believe in Him is to have eternal life. I encourage that. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Come study the Bible with Pastor Chuck Smith as he teaches from Genesis through Revelation on a digitally remastered audio edition of Pastor Chuck's Bible Commentary. That's over 600 audio MP3 files of Pastor Chuck teaching through the entire Bible, all on a 16-gig reusable flash drive. Now you can easily listen to Pastor Chuck's Bible Commentaries when you insert this key into your computer. Then you can transfer all of these audio Bible studies to a smartphone 
or any other listening device to learn and study God's Word on the go. And not only that, you can reuse this flash drive that easily fits onto any keyring for even more mobility at a fraction of the cost. What a great way to study and learn God's Word. For more information, please call the Word for Today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.